one thing that always encouraged me about Pastor Herbster is he had a Bible reason for why he did everything he did. And you may or may not agree with him, uh, but he's going to have a good Bible reason for it. And so I think that'll be helpful for us because as we talk about parenting, as we talk about doing this type of stuff, it's difficult. And there are as many different ideas, it seems, about parenting as there are parents and children doing it. And everybody seems to have a little bit different idea, a little bit different take. And while we understand there's some room for differences with some different things, God's Word is true. And God's Word gives us really clear guidelines on so many things. And uh, I believe God's Word has the answer to everything, even parenting. And so tonight we're going to get to hear from somebody who's been studying God's Word a lot longer than I have, who's had more experience than I've had with parenting his own children and now helping a little bit removed but still very involved with their grandchildren's lives. And so hope it'll be a blessing to you tonight. So I won't take any more time. And as you're thinking of, as he's teaching, think of some questions. At the end, we're going to have both Pastor and Mrs. Herbster up here an opportunity to ask them questions. And that will be fun for me because I'll be anxious to see what my wife's going to say. You know, I'd like like to uh, hear from her myself. So I hope the questions will go, some of them, to her. But what a joy to be here. This is, this is clipping coupons. This is uh, being blessed in a special way because to come and see Pastor Will and Shandy, not only pastoring the church and beginning this church and to see what God has done, but to see what they're doing with their own family and with their own children. You know, it's almost like they're one of ours because uh, we have watched our children and now raising our grandchildren for the Lord, and it's great to see uh, the Covers raising their children for the Lord and uh, Mark and Anne-Marie's grandchildren as we've had the opportunity to know them for some years as well. And I could spend the rest of the night, the rest of the week, maybe even the rest of the month talking about uh, child training, the importance of it. And it's uh, something that I have uh, spent a lot of time thinking about. I've spent time speaking on. I've had the opportunity to write some on the subject. And I'm thankful to have this opportunity. But I'm kind of, now what do I cover? And so when he told me kind of the series he was going through, I thought, well, I'm going to try to kind of do an overview a little bit and try to help give some, you know, foundational structure to this whole thing. And he's going to put a lot of meat on the bones. And hopefully what's going to happen here at the end is we can really fine tune because you're going to ask questions, right? Uh, How many of you have children? May I see your hands? Okay, I just want to make sure. How many of you would like to have children? Okay, okay, good. Mark, you're going to, you, you, Mark raises, you have a lot, and uh, are you the only grandparents here? Only grandparents, oh, good, another grand, and you know, we, we know in Deuteronomy 6, 7, talks about that we should teach these truths of the word of God to our, our children, but a lot of times we don't notice Deuteronomy 4, 9, where it says we should teach them to our children's children as well, our sons and our son's sons, and I just want you to write down Psalm 78. I'm not going there tonight. We're going to stay in the Proverbs pretty much. But Psalm 78, read it, because that's what God wants. Generation after generation after generation. uh, To see children and their children and their children and their children living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And my wife and I didn't have that heritage in our families, but we're hoping to have that heritage in our children, then in our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren, however many God chooses generations to allow us to have until Jesus comes. And aren't you looking forward to Jesus coming? Lord Jesus, come quickly. 
But we want to be found faithful in uh, watching what happens with the next generation. Now, let me remind you, there is no perfect parent. Would you say that with me? There is no perfect parent. And if you didn't say that with me, you are definitely not a perfect parent because uh, all of us need to realize we have something to learn. I'm now in that grandparenting stage, and guess what? I still have some things to learn as a grand. And some, all of us that have had our, our time in parenting have had those times when we felt like we were failures. How many of you have already been through that time? You know, you felt like, and I could tell you a lot of stories, but the one I like to tell is when my oldest son, Matt, was sent to the principal's office, and I was the principal. Yeah, and I'd always told my children, if you got a spanking at school, you might you get one at home as well. I didn't know I'd be doing both of them. You know, it was one of those situations. <laughs> kind of concerned about that. And he came into the office, and I came out of my outer office into the secretary area, the reception area. I said, Matthew, why are you here? And he said, Dad, I've got an eraser stuck up my nose. And I said, you have what? He said, I have an eraser stuck up my nose. And he goes back like this, and sure enough, in his right nostril, there was an eraser stuck up in his nose. I hurried him into my office where nobody could hear the conversation because I was a little concerned about what they might think about me and my parenting if I had a son foolish enough to have an eraser stuck up his nose. And, you know, what's the question? How did you get the eraser stuck up your nose? And he says, well, Dad, I was uh, playing with the eraser on my pencil. It came off. So I stuck it in my nose and let it hang out so it looked like something else. And kind of was talking to my neighbor, and I forgot it was there, and I sniffed. Now, if you look at the herpster nose, you'll understand it's pretty powerful. And, uh, and so what happened when he sniffed, the eraser went up his nose, and it was stuck there. He couldn't get it out. As a matter of fact, we had to take him to the emergency room to get the eraser out of his nose. Now, excuse me, my wife had to take him to the emergency room because, you know, I was a Christian school principal. Can you imagine the headlines? Christian school principals get eraser, sons gets eraser stuck up his nose, and we could have hurt the testimony of Christ, and maybe they wouldn't recognize my wife. They might have recognized me. No, it just happened. I was busy. But I'm just telling you, have you ever felt like a failure as a parent? I mean, that was one of my times. There was another time we were sitting in our living room, and all of a sudden I heard, smack, ah! and I go running outside, and there's Matt holding his nose. Yeah, there's a lot of nose stories on my son, Matt, who, by the way, there's hope. I'm going to give you hope because he's now the director of the Wilds Christian Camp in North Carolina. God is merciful, <laughs> long-suffering. But he was holding his nose, and I said, Matt, what happened? What happened? He said, Dad, I ran into the car. And I stopped, and I thought, What? I've heard of cars running into boys before, but boys running into cars? I said, son, son. Now, again, what am I going to ask? How'd that happen? He said, well, I told my brothers, Mark and Mike, the twin brothers, his, his twin younger brothers, he said, I could beat you in a race with my eyes closed. And he did it. Smack right into the car. You know, we, we could spend the rest of the night talking about stories. All I want you to know is this, there's no perfect parent. And you're going to have situations in your life where you're going to be scratching your head. You're going to have other times you're going to be crying in your pillow. But all the time you ought to be praying for God to do a work in the life of your children. Because, and listen to this statement, it's only by the grace of God that any of our children turn out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you listen to that statement again? Because I, I think you need to understand without him, we can do nothing. 
And that's why prayer is so very, very important. And men ought always to. Hey, men, how many of you men were at the breakfast? You know what I'm trying to start talking about. Men always to pray and not to faint. And we need to be praying for our children and our grandchildren as God's given us grandchildren. As a matter of fact, I used to think when I was thinking about children that I, I, I was raising the parents of my grandchildren, and that was, you know, motivational to me. I wanted to have godly grandchildren, so I need to raise godly parents for my grand. Now I realize at my age that I also was raising my future caregivers. <laughs> so that can be a scary thing too. So start thinking about that as you're raising these children for the Lord, not just the parents of your grandchildren, but who's going to take care of you someday? You better take care of them well, because one of these days, it's going to be coming right back at you. But it's only by the grace of God that any of our children turn out for the Lord Jesus Christ. But Proverbs 22 and verse 6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, will not depart for it. In other words, our training responsibilities are real, and we need to take it seriously. And so in the book of Proverbs, and by the way, I love Proverbs. I don't know what you do with your family in devotions. I don't know what you do for personal devotions, uh, but if you want to get started and you don't have a regular plan, Proverbs is a great place to go. And especially for parents, it's a great place to go because this is instruction for a young man. That's why I like to stay in it because I'm a young man and I want to have instruction for a young man. But the, the teaching of Proverbs, and the neat thing is there's 31 Proverbs, right? How many days in the longest month of the year? 31. So you always know where you're going. So, you know, if it's the 10th, you're reading Proverbs 10. And if you happen to miss Proverbs in the 11th, you happen to miss that day because of something, you don't have to get all defensive. Just look at your watch, and now it's the 12th. Okay, we'll go to Proverbs 12. When our children were teenagers, we had them reading the Proverbs along with us, and they would each pick one, and we'd pick on one verse out of the book of Proverbs that spoke to you and share it with the rest of the family. Very simple devotions, but very powerful and so many precious truths in the book of Proverbs that you can hang on to. As a matter of fact, uh, Will and Shandy know I spent about four years going through the Proverbs on Wednesday night on our family night service to make sure that our, our families were learning the precious truths of the Word of God that impact lives. And I picked a couple of them for tonight as we think in general about this area of disciplining because we don't want our children to be out of control, Right? Uh, we want them to be under control, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, under control. And we want to make sure that we have children that are not only under the control of mom and dad, but under the control of God Almighty, their creator. And so in Proverbs chapter 29, there's two verses that I've bracketed your outlines with to help us to have a sense of things. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. In other words, if you decide I'm not going to discipline, I'm not going to correct, I'm not going to instruct, I'm not going to train them up in the way they should go, they're going to bring you shame and disappointment. But hold on, look what it says in verse 17. If you'll correct thy son, he shall give thee rest, he shall give delight unto thy soul. And I was just thinking how the Covers were feeling this morning as uh, Pastor Will preached that powerful message on Jesus Christ being the bread of life. 
Oh, made you sad, didn't it, Mark? Oh, man, I can't believe it. Here's my son being my pastor. I said, what's that got to be like? I've had the privilege of hearing my, my sons preach and be convicted under their preaching as I was challenged under the preaching of Pastor Will this morning, but I've never had one of my sons be my pastor. <laughs> and I think, wow, they give you delight. Praise the Lord for what, what's happening if you will correct your son. So what, what do we need to keep in mind? And again, I'm, I'm going to be fairly general and hopefully you'll ask some specifics, uh, but what do we need to teach our sons? What do we need to do in this matter of discipline just to make sure that they are delight unto our soul? Well, first of all, discipline that corrects will be defined properly. You've got to get the definition right. It will be defined properly. Because sometimes we have the idea that discipline is only stopping the wrong behavior. I don't want them to misbehave. I want them to do right. You know, I want to make sure that they're sitting still. I want to make sure they're putting things. I, I want to make sure that they don't do wrong. And so we have the idea that it's stopping the wrong. And by the way, that's part of it. That's only the first part, however. Not only do you want to stop the wrong behavior, but it is also starting the right behavior. It's not just stopping the wrong behavior, it's starting the right behavior. We had three boys under the age of two. Um, Mark and Mike were born when Matthew was 19 months. I can remember having the two high chairs set up for Mark and Mike in our house and we would put an oil cloth under tablecloth, you know, one of these that's thick. We, some of you remember those, so that we could catch all the droppings. Because our children had the tendency to try to feed each other instead of feed themselves. Now, honestly, they weren't. They were food fighting, you know, throwing food. <laughs> Why are you all looking so smug? Like nothing like this ever happens at your house. Your kids are just perfectly behaved from the time they're born, right? I know what. But it wasn't enough to get them to stop throwing food at each other. All we had to do was start to teach them how to put the food in their own mouths so mommy didn't have to go like this, this, and this, or mommy and daddy, mommy, you know, back and forth, and there's Matt over there making fun. And, you, know, it was, you see, we wanted them to learn how to stop throwing food and start you know, making sure that they were feeding themselves, growing up to feed themselves. It's not just um, you know, stopping they're murmuring and complaining. Yeah, we memorized the verse. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. No more murmuring, complaining. Boy, was that a long process. But eventually we wanted them not just to be critical and murmur and complain about everything and cry all the time, but we really wanted them to start complimenting each other and being kind one to another. Ephesians 4, 3, be ye kind. How many times did we drill that into? Be ye kind one to another. See, it's not just stopping the wrong behavior. It's starting... The right behavior. And guess what? Not only did they become the best friends, but they also became the number one defenders of their brothers as they grew up and the encouragers. And even to this day, they're encouraging one another and praying for one another. It wasn't just stopping the wrong behavior. It was also starting the right behavior. Are you familiar with Ephesians 4, 22 through 24? I don't need to make you turn to it for sake of time, but it's the put off and put on passage of scripture. That's the message that God gives us. We're to put off the wrong behavior and put on the right behavior. And it's very interesting. Sometimes people forget verse 23. You know, 
We're supposed to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. The only way you're going to learn how to put off the wrong behavior and put on the right behavior is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And how do we renew our minds? What do we use to renew our minds? What do we wash our minds with? The Word of God. And so you have to get your children into the Word of God at the earliest ages. Now, can I, hold on. I'm not telling you that if you have family devotions, you have personal devotions with your kids, that your kids are going to turn out. Deuteronomy 6, 7, so it's supposed to be teaching our kids all the time. You know, when they walk by the way, when they in the house, when they lie down, when they rise up. And by the way, you're doing it, whether you realize it or not, because they're watching you all the time. It's like that little boy one time. He was going home from church, and his parents were complaining about the length of the message and the music and all the things that were going on. And finally, the boy said, what do you expect for a buck? You know, they're even watching what you're putting in the offering plate. Said, you, you know, what do you expect? The boy said, yeah. So I have a little saying. You've maybe heard it before, but it goes like this. Your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. See if you can say that. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Ron Hamilton is a good friend of mine. We're the same age and uh, came from the same part of the country, northern. I, I know I look younger than him. I, I, some of you were staring at me like, you can't be as old as Ron Hamilton. <laughs> I'm, uh, but I'm actually his senior by a month, so I just want you to know he has to look up to me. But he's even took that little phraseology and put it to the song on good old Patch the Pirate. How many of you know Patch the Pirate and understand? Hold on. When you become a grandparent, you recycle it all again. It's just, please, Leron, grow up, would you, so I can have some peace in mind. But he, he's got the song, hippocritter, hippocritter, you say one thing and do the oppositor. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy, but it's making the point. If we want our children to be in the Word of God, we need to be in the Word of God. If we want our children to tell other people about Jesus Christ, we need to be telling people about Jesus Christ. If we want our children, you know, to have a love for the Lord, we need to have a love for the Lord. It's the Word of God. And we started out with Leading Little Ones to Christ, a little devotional book that we would use. And there's so many good, there's keys for kids now, and there's so many tools out there that can really help you. But I'll tell you, Proverbs is a great place to be. You can, you can start right there if you want to. But hide God's word in their heart that they won't sin against God. So don't forget when you're trying to get the put off and the put on to put in the word of God into their lives. From a child thou hast known the scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. That's 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. So make sure you define discipline properly. Stopping the wrong behavior and starting the right behavior. Secondly, if you want to really correct with your discipline, you need to determine it properly. Discipline that corrects will be determined properly. And what do I mean by that, be determined properly? Well, you're going to have to decide how your rules are going to be determined, and you have to decide how your rules are going to be enforced. Those are things you have to determine. You have to decide, how am I going to determine what the rules are going to be, and then what am I going to do 
to enforce those rules? How am I going to handle it when they don't obey those rules? Now, how many of you know what it says in Ephesians 6.1? How many of you know what it says in Ephesians 6.1? Good, many hands. Okay, let's say it together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What's the second verse say? Honor thy father and mother that it might be well with thee. You know, and by the way, uh, that's for life. Honor your father and mother. Even if they weren't godly father and mother, still honor them. And, and so two things that we determined that our children were going to do is they were going to obey and they're going to be respectful. Now, we taught them that verse, those verses to remind them about that. You know, I started in the delivery room, you know, start early, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So when they were born, Ephesians 6 sons, 6 4, 6 1 sons, will you quote it for me? Tell me what it says. And I don't know if it was quite that early, but you know, we started early. And I wanted them to know that, you know, if they weren't obedient, if they weren't respectful, uh, there was going to be problem. There was going to be discipline. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens just like a father does his son, or could I say, just like a father should do to his son. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. Because sometimes fathers aren't doing it, mothers aren't doing it. As a matter of fact, some churches are even teaching, just kind of let them be, you know. After all, they're throwing a fit because they want your attention. And so you don't want to give them attention because if you give them attention, you're rewarding them for the fit. Well, not the kind of attention I give them when they're throwing the fit, okay? Uh, because I have decided that one of the rules is that you're going to be respectful. You're going to be obedient. And you know the third thing that was really key to us? Honesty. Honesty. God is a God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in our household, our boys knew from the earliest ages it was automatic punishment when they were either disobedient, disrespectful, or dishonest. It was automatic. We're not talking about it. It's over. It's done. Let's go to the room. Those three things were automatic. And everybody has to decide, but those are so clearly in Scripture. And sometimes when they were disobedient and then disrespectful when I was trying to correct them for their disobedience. Now it's double indemnity. Two strikes, right? And sometimes they could lie about it and get to the third strike because of the fact that's chill. By the way, have you ever been around these parents that get so frustrated when their children do, oh, I can't believe my child told a lie. I mean, I don't want my children to tell a lie, but you know, it doesn't surprise me my children are lying. Uh, Incended, my mother conceived me. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. What do you expect? God gave you children, and God also gave the children parents to be able to direct those children. But I'm not surprised when I do. I get surprised sometimes when they do right. I'm really kind of surprised. (laughs) And guess what? They start to do it eventually, and man, woo! Hallelujah. And when they start to teach your grandchildren to do right, you say, I've arrived. Hallelujah. It's good. But so you have to determine that if they're disobedient, disrespectful, or dishonest, there's going to um, be discipline. But I also have determined in my enforcement, I have determined in my 
enforcement, I'm going to try to be as much like God as I possibly can because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And guess what? God deals with us immediately. Right? How many Christians here tonight? Probably most of you, okay? How many of you know the chastening of the Lord? May I see your hand? By the way, you better raise your hand. Because you know what the scripture says? If you be without chastisement, you're not children. In other words, if you can sin and it doesn't bother you, you better check out your salvation. And because when I sin, it bothers me. Right? And even though sometimes I, I, I don't want to respond, well, I want to justify my sin, I've learned that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive my sin and to cleanse me from all righteousness. But he bothers me immediately. What about you? When I say something I shouldn't say, when I think something I shouldn't think, I look at something I shouldn't look at, would somebody else shake your head or something so I don't think I'm the only sinner around here? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> because the Lord loves me. And so he catches my attention. And he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. He wants me to prosper. And, but he said, if you'll confess it and forsake it, there's mercy. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? And by the way, there's mercy in my household if they'll confess it and forsake it too. <laughs> it's a verse my children learned because they wanted mercy. <laughs> I said, you don't, don't cover it. Be honest about it. We'll have to deal with it. There may be consequences, just like there's consequences from our sin, right, sometimes. But hallelujah, there's forgiveness as well. But when we, when we correct our children, we do, need to do it immediately. And that means sometimes you're going to have to take them away when everybody else is watching. And I know sometimes you, people, what if the herpsters, they're so strict. I can't believe they're taking those kids to that. Right? Well, what are they doing in there? I'll bet they're beating those kids. I'll bet it's child abuse. I don't know what's going on with those. But I'll tell you what, some of those same people would like to have what we have today. Because you've got to deal with things when they happen because you think our attention span is short. Children's attention span is very short, and they'll have a hard time remembering. And one of the keys to discipline is them knowing why they're being disciplined. So it's immediate. And I, I watch this sometimes at churches, and I haven't seen it here, so I'm not talking about you, but I've, I've watched children running unattended all over the place doing you know, the high hurdles over the pews and everything else, and nobody's doing anything about it. But I'm sure some of those parents, when they get them home, what are you doing in the church? You're not supposed to be that way. Well, stop them right then so they know. That's why we kept a concealed weapon in our car. <laughs> the glove cup. Is this not being recorded, is it? No, I mean. <laughs> we're always ready. But by the way, not in public. You know, we're careful. But we tried to deal with things immediately. We have to leave the grocery store and go out to the car. And deal with it, we dealt with it. Because you need to deal with it immediately. You need to deal with it consistently. Consistently. If it's wrong once, it's wrong twice, it's wrong three times. And can I tell you something? When you have three boys under the age of two, especially moms at home, you can feel like that's all you're doing some days. And guess what? It's okay if your house isn't as clean as everybody else's. Because you need to drop what you're doing and deal with it immediately and consistently. And once one does it and gets disciplined, somebody else does it and sees it. And then the next one forgot that he'd been disciplined. He starts all over again. And I'm just telling you, right, honey? <laughs> it seems like it's constant. And eventually you say, oh, wait till daddy comes home. No, don't wait till daddy comes home. Deal with it and then tell daddy about it. And then daddy, you deal with it some more if you need to. 
But you need to deal with it consistently. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, deal with it. But hold on, you must deal with it compassionately. Aren't you glad we have a long-suffering Heavenly Father who loves us? And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, discipline and the types of discipline and all that kind of thing. We don't have time to get into all the specifics, but here's the one thing I want to tell you. Whenever you're finished, whenever you're finished with a session of discipline, no matter what you're going to use to bring forth the punishment, make sure you always finish it with love and prayer. Always give them a hug, because you're not rejecting them, you're rejecting their behavior, right? It's the, the behavior you're dealing with. Hey, the child, they're just being a sinner. And they need to know you haven't rejected them, that you love them. And I told my sons, well, sometimes I just like to spank you again so I could have that. When the end, I said, I love you, son. I love you, dad. And we hug each other and cry and say, let's pray and ask God to change you and change me. And let's all, you know, because some sweet times with our children, after we've had to have a, a session, when we're able to then be able to love them and pray with them, and encourage them. And hey, we might be back there that afternoon for the exact same thing. But we go through the same process again. Just like whom the Lord loves, he chastens. We even, when they were little, I'd say, now, Dad, do you know why Daddy's doing this? And I could see him, yeah, because you was. <laughs> and some couldn't get, wait to get old enough to love somebody else, you know, that was just kind of like they... they I, I, you had to kind of convince them, but you know, when they grow up, they rise up and call you blessed because you've been faithful in determining the proper discipline. Thirdly, if you're going to correct, you will direct your discipline properly. Discipline that corrects will be directed properly. You will have negative reinforcement for wrong behavior. You will have positive reinforcement for right behavior. Now, somebody right away says, oh, that's Skinner. I mean, if you've studied education, behavioralism, and Skinner, and Pavlov's dog, and all this sort of thing, and you, oh, that's, that's psychology, that's humanistic psychology. No, that's Bible. Skinner just kind of realized it. Uh, I mean, when truth is truth no matter who discovers it, okay? And the Bible talked about positive and negative reinforcement long before Skinner ever did, right? I mean, after all, what's heaven and hell? What do you think? I mean, huh? I don't know if any of you, I know a lot of people that got saved because they didn't want to go to hell. Uh, that wasn't my motivation. But it might have been some, and it's okay. Nothing wrong with that because I don't want to go to hell either. Um, I want to go to heaven. That's positive and negative reinforcement. And we know that we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What about you? That's positive reinforcement. And the Bible talks about that even with our children. We need to give positive and negative reinforcement. Now, you're in Proverbs. I want you to go back to chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, because I, I'm going to do this because I just have to make a point. And I want to, when we get finished, I want you to tell me what is one of the negative reinforcements that we should be using in our Christian homes. No matter what anybody else says, even our Christian brethren, because this is the Bible. Okay? Just so follow along. With, I'm just going to share a few verses. Proverbs 13 and verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, 
But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Chapter 19 and verse 18. Proverbs 19 and verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. I don't know if any of you have a professional repenter in your home, but we had one. I'm sorry, 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 I'm that's what it's all about. Go to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15. I referenced this before. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. So it'll be surprised. But the rod of correction shall drive it far away. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from thy child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Sometimes he'll sound like he's dying, okay? They'll throw a fit. But he's not dying, and nobody's saying you should beat away at a child. We'll talk about that. But it's, you strike a child. That's probably a better. When you, when you spank a child. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. We looked at it. What did it say? It says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So the Bible is pretty plain that there's something we ought to be doing with our children negatively. Does anybody have a clue what it is? Spanking. How many of you were spanked as a child? May I see your hands? Oh, man. How many of you are happy you were spanked as a child? How many of you were happy when you were a child when you were being spanked as a child? <laughs> okay, I'm just making a point, right? You see, they rise up, and it's, it's a blessing. And again, there's more ways to spank a child than just with the rod, but one of the ways is the rod. Now, we're not talking about in, in the society we're in today, we need to be careful. I don't think you should use a round. I think you should use a flat object. You don't need to beat away at a child. One good strike will normally do it. And, of course, maybe if they have a couple offenses, maybe a couple. But you're not trying to hurt the child. You're just trying to help the child know that there's pain that comes along with disobedience, disrespect, dishonesty. Just like the Holy Spirit of God brings pain, and whom the Lord loves, he chastens. There's, there's consequences for our sin. And God loves us and doesn't want us to sin, so we have his blessing versus the consequences, and that's what I want for my child. I want them to do right. And so from the earliest age, you know, we, we tried to help them understand that. Some people say, well, when is the right time to start paddling? You know, well, I sometimes would say when they're ready to walk, they're ready to squawk, you know, but I don't know if that's a... <laughs> but, you know, you're not beating... I mean, it's just... Tapping on the legs sometimes is different things to catch their attention. And yeah, loss of, there's other things that you can do. But all I'm trying to say, in this day and age when some people are trying to tell us that spanking is not biblical, Christians shouldn't spank, hogwash. The Bible says don't spare the rod. Just do it properly, kindly, and graciously. Take them to a private place. We had part of ours was the paddle had Proverbs 22, verse 16 on it where it talked about the the whole rod and uh, foolish is bound in the heart of a child and it was hanging on the wall and part of the punishment was they went and got the paddle and took it to the bedroom and met us there. And that's where we would, do, and, and to do it properly, it takes some time. It's not just, always use an object. Don't use your hand. I mean, we know how to train our dogs better than we know how to train our children. They'll say, use a paper and their people are so careful. They, oh, because this is kind and this is gracious. You don't want to, you know, you're striking your dog because the dog will run from you. 
And then we do backhand our kids. and No, 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 no. That's not the, no. Our hands and our arms love, but the rod, that brings correction. And you take them to the room, and you deal with it, and you let them cry it out, and you make sure they know what their behavior is wrong. And I could go on and on and on about all the things. They need to understand why they're being corrected and why it's wrong. And it's wrong not because Daddy says it's wrong. It's wrong because God says it's wrong. And therefore, you need to know the Bible so you can share with them what's wrong about what they did, what they said, how they treated somebody else. So we have to make sure that we're using negative. And I, I, I tell people when your children get into junior high and that type of thing, it's not the, the rod that's best. It's the loss of privileges that brings the most pain. And for my sons, it was sports. Now, coaches didn't like me. And I had to keep to my sons were pretty good athletes. But uh, I'd set them out of a game and it'd get their attention. And guess what? It'd get some pressure for some other guys. You can use peer pressure positively as well as negatively. Because then the players would get, well, I can't believe your dad won't let you play. What's it? And I would say, hey, guys, excuse me. It's not dad's fault. Who disobeyed? My child did. So if you want to put some pressure, tell them to do right. They can play. And if you really want them to play, put the pressure on, guys. Help me out. And it was amazing how that type of loss of privilege can bring pain. In other words, when, there, when there's negative reinforcement, it has to bring pain. But when it's positive reinforcement, which is for the right behavior, it should bring praise. Because I find that a lot of times people in Christian homes are good at the pain but not good at the praise. Could we do a little more Proverbs study? Go back to chapter 12. And look what it says in uh, verse 25. Proverbs chapter 12. And verse 25. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. In other words, a positive word. I think my wife talked about encouragement last night, ladies. Well, our children need encouragement as well. A good word. Go to Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 18. Excuse me, Proverbs, that's a, Proverbs 15 and verse 23. Proverbs 15 and verse 23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? It's a positive thing to give a good word, to give a word of encouragement. Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Um, I'm looking at the long, wrong list again. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 24. Proverbs 16 and verse 24. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Some of you that uh, have employment, isn't it nice sometimes when your employer compliments you for the good job you're doing? Now, maybe you said it never happens in my company, but... It's, well, you're happy when they give you a bonus, right? So I guess that's a good word. We, we need to be encouraging our children. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 11. Listen to this beautiful picture. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. In other words, son, you really behaved well in church today. Son, I was so thankful to see you all coming to me and obeying me in the very first time I asked you to come. You're learning the song. 
I will obey the first time I'm told. I will obey right away. Never asking why. Never with a sigh. I will obey right away. Thank you, son. That's good to see it. We had a, a little jar in our living room. Anytime we got a compliment about our children, a dollar went in the jar. And uh, it was, I would tell them about who told us about their behavior in junior church or who told us about their behavior in Sunday school or who talked to us about how well they appreciated our children staying with us in the church services and behaving themselves. And they were rewarded for their good behavior. I find many times in Christian homes where God have punishment. But we're not very good at praise. I spent uh, seven years in the business world, and I learned that we should have four compliments for every correction. And we should sandwich any correction with compliments. You know, the sandwich approach. Compliment the person, give them the correction, then compliment them again so they realize you haven't rejected. Hey, that's good biblical stuff. That not, just doesn't, doesn't just work in the business world. It works in the lives of our children as well. And if I've had to correct my children for something they've done wrong, I start looking for something I can praise them for and compliment them for for doing right. And we need to let, and can I say this for you as a church? If your young people ever do anything in front of the church, Make sure that you're spending the, the rest of the time after the service thanking them for their ministry, complimenting them, encouraging them. I would sometimes have our youth choir singing, and they'd get finished, and nobody would give a good hearty amen, and I'd get frustrated with them. I'd get up there and say, folks, look at these young people. Not only are they here at church on a Wednesday night, they're ministering for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they could be out there with all the other young people in the streets doing a lot of wicked things, and they're here praising the Lord. I think we could give them a good hearty amen. And so people were afraid of me doing that to them, so they gave them good hearty amens every time. But I'm telling you, our children need to be encouraged. Our teenagers need to be encouraged. They're looking for a cause. Give them a cause. Jesus Christ is a cause. The last thing I need to share with you before we go to the question and answer time is it has to be developed properly. It has to be developed properly because it starts with external pressure from parents and it grows with internal pressure from God. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's parents. Nurture and admonition, that's praise and pain. That's chastening and instruction. But it grows with internal pressure from God. It's God who works in them both to will and to do his good pleasure. When my three little guys were this size, I could control them. I could get a hold of them, and they weren't going to sit down. I could make them sit. You know, I could control them. I could make them behave. I could uh, go. But when my guys were this size, they can control me. But you know somebody that can still control them? God can control them. And I want to teach them how to be answerable to God, not to me. Simply, I'm a steward of God's children. They're not mine. They're God's. And I'm here to train them for God. And I'm going to ask um, Mr. Culver and Pastor Will, if you'd come here, I just want to illustrate this a little bit. And so I'm going to use these steps here. And uh, Will, I want you on the, the bottom here. And Mark, I would like you up here on the top if you would, because this is a father and son right now. If I had Trevor in here, I could even 
take this a little further. It's really wonderful. When Will was born, tomorrow. No, he wasn't born tomorrow, but I mean, his birthday is tomorrow. And so when he was born, Dad was totally in control. Dad determined whether he was even going to take him home from the hospital, <laughs> which I'm glad you did. Okay, I'm glad you did. Okay, do you understand? But as Will grew a little bit, you come down one now, all of a sudden, Dad started to start helping him learn how to control himself, how to not destroy the living room when he was out of his playpen, right? How to put his clothes away without Mom having to do it, how to feed himself. How, you understand? They start to learn to do things for themselves, right? And eventually, come on, go stay up there because I want you on the same level right there. Okay, good. You don't have five steps, so I have to do it this way. There comes a time when dad is trying to help Will make the right decisions for his life. And some things he's saying, okay, Will, you decide that. Pastor Will, but at that time, Will, William, I forgot, William, you decide those things. Uh, and my sons, I didn't tell them where to go to college. I, I asked them where they thought the Lord would have them go to college. I asked them to evaluate the Christian colleges that were out there. And why would you want to go to that? But I always held back veto power. Do you know what veto power is? I wasn't going to let them go and destroy their lives by going to some secular school or some non-Christian Christian school. Do you know what I'm talking about with non-Christian? They say they're Christian, but they're not Christian. That's the most dangerous school that's out there. To go to a secular school, at least you know what you're dealing with. When you go to a school that says it's Christian and it's not Christian, it's dangerous. And, I would have, and when they went off to the college, I didn't tell them which society they had to join, but I'll tell you what, I'd done my research to find out which one was the hot society and which one were the cold societies on campus, and if they would have made the... But you see, I'm trying to help him learn how to make his own decisions. That's what I'm trying to do. And then guess what? Step up a step. Go down, Dad. You know, I was helping him in the decision of his uh, wife-to-be... You know, and, but I didn't make the decision who he was going to marry. You know, he decided over me. Now, I, I, I was glad that I didn't have to in any way interfere because he was making some good choices. And guess what? When he got married, Dad, take another step down. I'm out. I'm out. You leave father and mother, the Scripture says, and cleave unto your spouse. You now have a new home Daddy doesn't control Pastor Will. As a matter of fact, Pastor Will is his pastor, so he's got an authority over Dad. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you know what? I've told my sons, sons, I'm no longer responsible, but I'm still available. In other words, I'll be one of your counselors just like anyone else. But you be a man, and you answer to God. You do what God wants you to do, and I'll be your biggest cheerleader. And I don't want to interfere. But do you see the transition that took place? Go back up here to this where you're on the same step. Can anybody guess what years this is? When you're trying to help them learn how to make decisions for themselves, and sometimes you're letting them make some, and sometimes you're making them for them, and you're holding back veto power, and you may have to have veto power sometimes. Do you, teen years. Do you see why the conflict in the teen years? Because teenagers, I think I'm ready to make that decision. And parents saying, I don't think you are quite yet. And, and those, are the, those were the, but I'll tell you what, 
there's a problem two ways. You have the overprotective young parents and the overpermissive. We sometimes think it's only the overpermissive parents that are a problem. But it's the overprotective parents that are a problem too that never teach their children how to answer to God. And they're always trying to control their children and their grandchildren. No, we need to train them to be independent of us and dependent upon God. That's the direction we should go. And because of that, thank you, you may be seated. You have a wonderful pastor that is answering to God and still getting counsel from mom and dad, and mom and dad can feel very comfortable sitting in his church because, guess what? They train up a child in the way he should go. And now that he is old, he's not departing from it. Praise the Lord. So make sure you don't have this over-permissive direction where you just let them make all the decisions when they're teenagers. Protect them. Don't let them ruin their lives. But make sure you're not the overprotective parent that says, I'll make all the decisions. I'm never going to teach you how to make decisions because you want God to work within them, both to will and to do his good pleasure. I'll just finish with this. A friend of mine and somebody that got me involved in government in Washington, D.C., and some of the things I do right now is a guy by the name of John Ashcroft. Some of you may know uh, General Ashcroft. He was Governor Ashcroft of our state in Missouri. And he, uh, he gave a devotion to our American Association of Christian Schools one year, and I was responsible for that organization. And he said, men, we need to raise up Samuels. We need to raise up Samuels. People who recognize the voice of God and respond to the voice of God. I submit to you that's what we need to do, raise up Samuels and Susans, okay, I understand. Men and women, young men and young women who will recognize when God's speaking to their heart and then they'll say, yes, Lord. That's what we need. And may God help us to do it. Thank you, Father, for this time together in your word, and I pray that you will help these dear friends to raise up another generation of young people who will raise up another generation of young people to love and serve your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.